Welcome to the second season of the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from people from Black Forest Community Church who have been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion is love. Love in action, revolutionary love, radical love. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Together, we are reading Love is the Way, Holding on to Hope in Troubling Times by Bishop Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in the U.S. This week's conversations are guided by chapter 7, Leave No One Behind, and 8, When the Spirit Reworks You. We lean into Karl Barth's advice that the way to do theology is with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other as we talk about who our neighbors are with our seminarian intern Sylvia Canty and church members Olivia Stalick and John and Emily Osborne. Sylvia is completing a Master's of Divinity with a concentration in spiritual care and chaplaincy through Isle of School of Theology. She lives in Colorado Springs with her husband and daughter and is an active member of Sacred Heart Catholic Church on the west side of Colorado Springs. Captain Olivia Stalick is an active duty army officer currently serving as the physical therapist for a brigade combat team at Fort Carson. She is a graduate of West Point and Ranger School, a former infantry platoon leader and a veteran of the war in Afghanistan. She's also a proud transgender woman and an advocate for her trans military peers and for the LGBTQ community locally and around the country. We will hear again from John and Emily, who were guests in our second episode of this second season of the podcast. They have been married for 13 years and have three kids ages 11, 9, and almost 5. Their days are full of playing and reading and studying, cooking, cleaning, and hopefully no more e-learning. Our text this morning um, is from Hebrews chapter 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And our second scripture text for this morning comes from first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 so speak encouraging words to one another build up home so you'll all be together in this no one left out no one left behind i know you're already doing it just keep on doing it We are grateful this morning to our seminarian intern, Sylvia Canty, who is going to share a little bit um, of an introduction to chapters seven and eight from the book, Love is the Way by Bishop Curry. And then um, we are going to hear from Olivia, um, who will connect some of these themes to what's going on in the world right now. Um, And then we will hear from Emily and from John. So um, Sylvia, take it away. Okay, thank you, Mandy. Um, So this morning we heard from Hebrews and 1 Thessalonians kind of speaking to us about the importance of community 
that's how I interpret it anyway, um, of supporting one another because we are all in this together. Um, we each have our part, our work to do in imagining and working for a better future for the good of all. Valerie Carr, um, of the author of See No Stranger and the director of the Revolutionary Love Proje Project, describes this idea through the image of the constellations in the night sky. When we look in awe and wonder at the beauty of the night sky, that beauty is not the result of a single star, but rather a collection of stars. For Valerie, each one of us is a star. And as we work together, who knows what beauty we create, what change we inspire, or what we can do to bring about a world of equality, love, dignity, and respect for all. Unity does not mean sameness, but rather all using our unique gifts to work together towards a common goal for the good of all. Yet to build a community and empower each one of us in our unique gifts requires something more. We must be willing to engage in relationship. Bishop Curry writes that it is easy to give time and money to do good and help others through acts of service or joining movements for social justice and change. But it is far tougher to maintain a humble and dedicated relationship with God and others, especially others who are not like you. We need to wonder about one another and to see each person as a part of me I do not yet know, as Valerie likes to say. To strive to see our connection with others as I vow, not I it. This requires an intentional change of perspective and the awareness to refrain from judgment. It will also take humility to admit when we are wrong and courage to learn, grow, and evolve. We must create space for those who honestly and respectfully hold a different position as we learn how to receive anger and not give it back in return and how to stand and kneel at the same time as Bishop Curry writes about in these chapters. So I leave you with a reminder to stop, look, listen, and learn as we work together for the common good. Thank, Thank you. you, Sylvia. <laughs> Sylvia is in her um, final semester of her Master's of Divinity at Iliff School of Theology and um, will be with us through May um, practicing um, what it means to be in parish ministry. So we are grateful for her presence. One of the quotes that popped up for me that I thought was important was on, in chapter eight. Um, and I've, I've said this quote um, before, it, it is from the great theologian Karl Barth, um, and, and Curry also quotes him. And it says that the way to do theology is with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Curry says the Bible can only guide us only if it is in conversation with real life, which Curry thinks is why it is 
important um, that when we bring these messages to church that we hold both of those and is also why I have invited Olivia um, to be a part of this conversation this morning because there was some Im in important stories that were happening in our um, in our world um, this week and I wanted her to share a little bit about that. Most of you know me, I think, but if you don't, my name is Olivia Stelic. I am an army officer currently on active duty. I'm a physical therapist at Fort Carson. Um, I'm also a trans woman. So I came out in 2017. And if you're not familiar with the whole army and the queer community, um, prior to 2016, there was a ban on serving openly as a trans person. Um, you could not do that. And then in 2016, the ban was repealed. And then we had a presidential election and in early 2017, mid 2017, uh, Donald Trump tweeted that trans people would no longer be allowed in the military, that we were gonna go back to a ban. Um, and we spent the last three years trying to, well, we spent a year trying to fight that from happening, um, which was ultimately unsuccessful. Um, in 2018, the Supreme Court ruled to allow the ban to move forward. And so for the last two years, anybody that came out as trans was unable to get appropriate medical care, was unable to transition in the military. It was not treated as a medically disqualifying condition to be trans, but to receive medical care for it, to have, to actually be able to go through transition was considered disqualifying. And so um, I've spent lots and lots of hours in the last two years working towards trying to get that policy changed. And uh, on Monday of, is that really just this week? Yes. Yeah. So on Monday of this week, the policy changed back. Uh, President Biden signed an executive order rescinding uh, President Trump's executive order. And so we're back to, well, we're not really sure where we're back to yet. We're, we're waiting on the Department of Defense to uh, actually write a new policy, but um, the old policy has been rescinded and so at this point, there's going to be open trans service again in the military. Um, and that's relevant, sorry, hair, um, right? So that's, I give all of that just as a little bit of background to what I'm gonna say, which is that um, I kind of got involved in this advocacy work um, around the trans military community specifically, and really the, the queer community at large, but um, accidentally I, volunteered to do an interview uh, when I got back from deployment to Afghanistan in 2019 and then 2018, 19, 2019. Um, and that kind of spiraled pretty quickly. And uh, I ended up in a fairly public position and doing more work and more advocacy. Um, and over the last couple of years that has kind of found a, a couple niche places where I end up working, one of which is specifically for the trans military community trying to advocate for policy change and how do we navigate bad policy or policy that restricts medical care for um, marginalized communities, particularly the trans folks in the military. 
And then the second piece of advocacy I do is this um, really the, at the intersection of being a medical provider and um, a trans person. I end up talking to a lot of different groups of medical providers because I have credibility in that world. And so I can provide education and, and my lived experience while also you know, acknowledging the challenges of our medical system in this country and in the military. So, but one of the things that comes up kind of in addition to all of this is that um, most of what I do is talking about my life, not my profession, right? The, the, the way I get involved in things is that people want me to talk about being trans, um, which is interesting in a lot of ways. But one of the things that happens, one of the things that happens is, and I'm just gonna tell a little bit of a story about this week um, because I think it's maybe the most representative of that particular verse in Hebrews and of this idea that, um, that we have to kind of build an intentional community and that that takes work and effort and kindness and gentleness. So uh, I belong to several different uh, fairly well-populated Facebook groups for female military officers and women's military fitness groups. And, uh, you know, these people are my peers. And uh, on Sunday night before the ban got repealed, um, one person in one of these groups decided to, to post something essentially to the effect of, well, I don't think right now is the right time to worry about trans people. Uh, and as you can imagine, the comments, when, one of the things you learn as a, as a trans people, as a trans person is to never ever read the comments about any article that has to do with being part of the LGBTQ community. You never ever, ever read the comments. But uh, you did. As you can imagine uh, that was, uh, the comments were not great. And I kind of had a choice here being part of this group to just let it go or to engage. And so I spent the next like six or eight hours and into the next day kind of deliberately engaging each of these comments on this post. I think we're up to like 500 now a week later um, in a conversation and really in this trying to be gentle and kind and educational to folks who really maybe don't know. And the result of that um, was a lot of different things, but the original person who posted commented back, you know, a week later, essentially saying, I'm really grateful for the folks who took time to answer questions gently and kindly and um, not dehumanizing me for asking a question that in retrospect was fairly insensitive. And I think at times it's difficult to not just uh, give in to the rage of why isn't this just an obvious thing that we should just treat everybody well and everybody deserves medical care and right that everybody should have equal rights and instead to say even though all of those things are true and even though I would like to rage about that sometimes um, that's not helpful it doesn't build community um, it tends to tear things apart and so um, I think that's maybe how this fits in to, to what we're talking about this morning is this idea of having grace for people um, and looking at people as people. Thank you, Olivia. I will say that um, 
Olivia has taught me so much. And I know that um, she is one of the people that I can consistently go to when I have questions and I can um, be super authentic with those questions. And, um, and she's always so kind and so full of grace. And um, when she doesn't, she doesn't have to be because, you know, probably part of what I'm asking are really frustrating and annoying questions, but she is, um, she's consistently been just so great with me. Um, I just wanted to show, I, I said this a little bit earlier, but my mom made me this rainbow stole um, this week, by the way, it all is coinciding. Um, and so I have it here for you, Olivia, um, and everybody else um, aw, um, as um, a reminder of, of the events this week. It reminds me a little bit of, um, Curry had this conversation in chapter seven with this um, a man, um, that the, the man was trying to get off the streets and, um, but he had never been to church. And so Curry was uh, teaching him these Bible stories for the very, very first time, this adult man was learning these Bible stories. And, and in those moments of learning those Bible stories, Curry says, um, Jesus was revealed. It was a Jesus revealed moment. And it sort of made me think about um, this repeal this week and how in that repeal of that ban and the overturning and the and the struggle to undo that there was actually it was actually a Jesus revealed moment and it reminded me that um, our trans community does not belong to the military our trans community belongs to God. And so I am grateful, Olivia, for you being here to teach us that piece of it. Um, John and Emily, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to this conversation, but we would love to hear from you. Olivia, first, I just wanted to say that um, you engaging in those conversations, you said for like six to eight hours and into the next day, there was a tweet I read a while back and I can't remember all of the what it was surrounding, but the picture that the tweet painted was holding the door open for, how did it go, babe? For people to change their minds, to walk through and learn and grow. Yeah, so I felt like when you were saying you did that, I saw you as someone who was holding the door open instead of slamming it in their face, which like, I probably would do. That's why I don't get on that stuff very often because it derails my whole day. <laughs> it's true, it does. Yeah, like I don't, I don't get on Facebook. I have an account, I don't use it. Like, yeah. So anyway, um, I was very challenged, inspired, engaged by that, spending all that time and that the outcome was really good for that one person and often it isn't. And that's not why you did it either, you know? So I feel like that's the only place I'm at right now with what I want to say. <laughs> so you say what you want to say. Um, I agree with all of that. I, I've spent time on Facebook as well, Olivia, and it sucks. <laughs> I, I get tired, but that leads me directly into what Curry is talking about. Um, these two chapters really go hand in hand for me because the first one is really about 
awareness was the word that came into mind for me as I was reading it. It's, it's easy for us, especially for someone like me who um, grew up in sheltered conservative evangelicalism and to hear the things that I said and the things that I was taught with what I am aware of now just remind me that we don't, I wasn't aware of suffering. I wasn't aware of how harmful the words were. I wasn't aware of um, the real pain that we were causing other people. And as Curry's talking about, as he moved into the neighborhood and he's, you know, he sees the damage that's being done around. And then he's also seeing people who are doing the damage and how, you know, the drug dealer that he's talking about and how damaged he was. And he's, he's just surviving as well. And I identified actually in that story with the drug dealer because I'm the guy that needed someone to come along and be like, hey, you knucklehead, like, this isn't good or right. Um, and then the next chapter where Curry's, what's it called? Where the spirit reworks you. Um, for both Emily and I hit us really personally. Um, again, we are still traveling out of the evangelical world where we still have a foot in there probably, uh, socially, not mentally or emotionally or theologically. Uh, and just navigating what that looks like and how that works for us has been, man, we've been really wrestling for three or four years about how to pull those relationships forward without um, slamming the door and also without uh, getting so angry that we can't have community anymore. And that's one of the biggest reasons we're so grateful for this community right now is because it's a place where we don't feel like we're pulling other people forward. Instead, we are the ones who are with others who are beyond us and are helping us come forward more in love and, and in grace. Um, there was a line in the book, it was there a minute ago, about people over principle, um, which has been foundational for me in my transformation over the last decade. Uh, yeah, he said, I decided then that people matter more than any principle. They are the principle. And uh, for me, that's really been something that keeps opening doors for me to keep moving forward in love, to keep moving forward in acceptance, to keep moving forward in advocacy is where I'm trying to be now. Um, and then there's another quote I thought of as we were talking, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote this, says the only clear line I draw these days is this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. And uh, I don't know, that's, that's, yeah, same thing that we're just trying to learn all the time. My four-year-old just walked in. Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. Thank you, John and Emily. That, that was actually really, really great. And I think that we are in a space in this country right now where we definitely need to hold um, love as the foundation of, um, of our character. Um, and as we are in relationship with other people, and just to be clear, um, you can you can love the other um, and disagree with the other. You can love the other and um, and be frustrated with their actions. You can love the other and um, and and I think that is in some ways the um, work that Curry is asking us to do. Um, and I think if we can do that. Um, then, then we can get to a space where we are actually in genuine relationship with the other person. So I appreciate um, John and Emily and Olivia and Sylvia for speaking into this space. Is there anybody else out there who is reading the book that had some thoughts or even wanted to comment on some of the conversation that happened this morning? I guess I would just say that um, the thing that stuck 
with me a lot stuck with me this morning it was beautiful but this idea of keeping the door open um and uh you know it's just such a good image it's such a beautiful image of like just keep the door open just keep the door open it may not turn out but um you know the the job the work is to keep the door open yeah i felt like when i read that tweet it was like finding the gold with all the stuff that just is frustrating like i mean i don't know there's a lot of really incredible people that i follow on twitter but that was something that really stood out to me and it has helped me shape like the way i go through my days um because i'm a naturally very um i feel like i'm gonna paint myself in like a really i feel like i'm super like I'm just incredibly passionate. And so when I feel like someone is being hurtful or hateful, I do what I shouldn't be doing as far as putting them in a box of like, well, you're just a really hateful person. And I'm not making space for them, like what the book talked about, you know, you create space for the other person. And so I'm guilty of it in that, in that opposite sense of like, I just start closing doors on all these people. And so all I'm trying to say is that has really challenged me to, um, what does that mean to hold the door open for somebody? I think that can change at any time, but that analogy is helpful for me. I think one of the things that's maybe important or valuable to say too, is that it's not always safe to hold the door open, right? Like it is not always safe for every person to hold every door open and I mean, I grew up in deep in the evangelical church and, you know, I've come a long way. My parents have actually, but one of the things that I figured out over the last, really just the last two or three years is that I grew up with and still have a lot of privilege, right? I'm, I'm white, I'm upper class, I have a doctoral degree, the army needs me more than I need the army. Like there's, there's a million things that could go in that box. And so because of that, it's really quite safe for me to be the one holding the door. I exist in a place where uh, at the intersections of a lot of privilege, particularly inside the military community, um, I can get away with things that many, many other people can't. And um, I just, it has become important to me to say, there's this idea that everybody has to hold the door all the time, or that if you're not doing the work that, you know, that's not okay, or that all of the, you know, in my particular circle, it's that if you're trans, you should be an advocate for other trans people. And I will always hold that that is not true, that you just get to live your own life. Um, and sometimes that's all you can do, and that's okay. Um, and that when you do find yourself in a position of privilege and, um, you know, and, and the ability to help, you know, then, then maybe there's a discussion to be had there. But and if it's safe, right? Like there are times, especially, you know, and, and I, I, I can only speak to my own experience, right? As a trans person, I don't know everybody else's unsafe spaces, um, but certainly there are different parts of the trans community that in which it would be much, much less safe for me to share um, or for somebody else to share or to hold the door open. Um, and I think that's just important to recognize that we're not all always there and that's okay. 
Yes, I mean, and I think that um, that speaks to sort of Olivia's essence overall is this sort of um, space where um, she is honoring all, everybody's place in this world, um, whether you can or you can't. And I also wanna put out there that it's also safe for Olivia because she's like six billion feet tall. Just kidding. How tall are you, Olivia? <laughs> I'm six two. She's a strong person, so she's pretty safe. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. But um, that's true. That, I mean, it is. Size is a piece of it. Is, especially in the physical world. Here, it doesn't matter so much. On Facebook, it doesn't matter so much. But in the physical world, it does matter. Right. So um, thank you all for this beautiful conversation. Um, and I love, uh, again, the intersections of our work with Curry, um, our biblical text, um, our, our news in our modern world, and also our personal story. It is really rich and beautiful. Um, and, I, and I love it. At the end of Curry's book, he gives Love in Action Daily Planner. The planner is based on the Benedictine monks and their practice of daily work. The idea is to grow closer to God, who is love. Each week, we wanted to share a category of action. So we have done mind and body and spirit. And this week, um, we'll send you off with the action of engaging relationships. We invite you to those practices that it would allow you to strengthen your most important relationships. Examples might include counseling or saying I love you to the person that is most important to you um, on a regular basis or weekly quality time with your dearest friend or partner or children or other loved ones or simply reaching out to your neighbor that you normally would not connect with. So my friends, go now in peace. Love is love is love. Amen. Next week, we will hear from Cindy Halsey and Art Navalta on chapter nine, the real E Pluribus Unum, and 10, the great relationship revival. We hope you join us again. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ, and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month you'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.